Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. What does the Dead Sea and an oil lamp have in common? Is it really possible to be too salty? Join us for the message, Salt and Light. Good morning and welcome here to worship at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Now, what does the Dead Sea and oil lamp have in common, and is it really possible to be too salty? Well, we're going to explore that just a little bit later on in our service. I'd also like to invite you, if you've not done so already, to make an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through writing a check, mailing it to our church, or dropping it in the collection plate as it goes by. You can also give to our church through our Church Center app, or through our website at tumcd.org. Listen now for the word of God from the book of Isaiah. Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bounds of justice, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall call for help and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be recalled, shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorers of streets to live in. Now from the book of Matthew. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp to put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you may recall, even though now they're living back in the States, for several years my niece and her husband along with their young daughters were missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Now, Papua New Guinea, if you don't know your world geography, 
is a tropical island nation that is just north of Australia. And it's the most linguistically diverse nation on the face of the earth. In an area just about the size of Texas, the population speaks no less than 800 different languages. My niece's husband has a degree in linguistics and he was able to be part of a team that translated the New Testament into one of these native languages. Now, if you've never been to Papua New Guinea, which I'm assuming none of you have, I haven't either, the people there are actually very dark-skinned. They're as dark as any African. And my niece and her daughters, like me and the rest of the family, are basically Western European mutts. A little bit of mixture of English and Celtic and Germanic DNA with just a dash of Neanderthal there on the side. But we don't tan, we burn. Now, not long after they arrived in country, my niece posted a photo of her two older girls, two older girls sitting among about a dozen New Guinean children. At the time, they were about four and two and a half. And although all the children had the same bright, wide uh, uh, smiles on their faces, my two little pale nieces stood out from their darker playmates. And so recalling one of those famous lines used in the lessons on the TV show Sesame Street, my niece posted the photo along with the caption, two of these things are not like the others. <laughs> when my sister returned from visiting them, she reported that in that country, it's considered good luck to touch a white child. So their girls were continually be touched by complete and total strangers everywhere they went. And at first it was very upsetting, but after a while they decided to stop fighting it and just accept the fact that their girls are going to be touched by complete and total strangers everywhere they went. So just as my little nieces stood out among their peers, we Christians are supposed to stand out from among our neighbors, or at least we're supposed to. In our text today, Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. Now, he doesn't say that we will be salt and light. He doesn't say that we should strive to be salt and light. Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Along with the Beatitudes, which we read last week, the verses concerning salt and light form the introduction really to one of the most famous sections in all of Scripture, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Gospel of Matthew, before we learn any of the details about Jesus' earthly ministry before the miracles and the missions or the travels through Galilee or the final travel to Jerusalem. The first thing Jesus does in his public ministry is he sits down on a mountaintop and lays out for his disciples his vision for the kingdom of God. And the first part of the Sermon on Mount, which we explore today, this first part tells us who we are as disciples of Christ in the kingdom of God. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll be exploring in the weeks ahead, will tell us what we should be doing in order to fully, to fully live out our identity as disciples of Christ in the kingdom of God. How to actually be salt of the earth and how to actually be the light of the world. And the Sermon on the Mount is, in Matthew, the first of five major blocks of Jesus' teachings that's found throughout that gospel. And in it, Jesus explores the ethical implications of living in the kingdom of God and then the nature of true righteousness. 
And as we look at the Sermon on the Mount over the next several weeks, we may find ourselves asking just how realistic these teachings are. Because I can tell you the Sermon on the Mount sets some very high ethical standards for us to live up to. And so we may ask ourselves, is it really possible for a human being to live a life that's shaped by the precepts of the Sermon on the Mount? Or, as some have suggested, did Jesus mean to set up for us an impossible standard for which we have no hope of actually living up to in order to reveal our need for grace? Others have asked, are these ethical standards set forth in the Sermon on the Mount meant to only be part of, uh, to shape personal ethics? Or are they meant to actually be applied to society as a whole? And we'll see as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus tells his disciples that they are the salt of the earth, but if they lose their saltiness, they are worthless. Now this can be kind of hard for modern people to understand this verse, because if you think about it, the table salt that we buy from the store is chemically stable, and if it's stored properly, it never loses its saltiness. In Jesus' time, however, they obtained salt by taking water from the Dead Sea, letting it evaporate, and then using the salt that was left over. And just like the sea salt that we can buy today, ancient salt contained many other minerals and elements in it which could go bad and affect the taste. And with substandard storage, other elements could come in and contaminate the salt, also thereby making it lose its taste and rendering it useless. Now, salt was essential to ancient life. Here in modern times, we, we worry about getting too much salt. But in ancient times, salt was essential. Salt was used for food preservation, for purification, for fertilization, for healing, as well as for seasoning food. And Jesus meant to apply all of these traits of salt to us as disciples. Disciples are supposed to also preserve the world. Disciples purify the world. Disciples fertilize the world. Disciples heal the world, as well as we provide seasoning. We disciples are the spice of life. In other words, we disciples exist for the world. As most of you know, in the United Methodist Church, our mission statement reads, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. We exist as a church for the sake of the world, to work to transform it until it becomes the kingdom of God. And moreover, salt also is a symbol of covenant, and covenant is a deeply biblical value. We are not just the salt of the earth. In a covenant of faithfulness, we are the salt for the earth. And so because we're entrusted with such a sacred mission, it's imperative that we do not lose our saltiness. Now the Greek here has a play on words that really doesn't, it gets lost in English translation. But that phrase, but if salt has lost its taste, could also be translated as, but if salt becomes foolish, it is no longer good for anything. So if salt loses its saltiness, it loses its identity as salt. And if we become foolish in our discipleship, 
then we too then lose our identity as disciples. And then we forget who we are. Just as we are salt of the earth, we are light of the world. Now one of the most common metaphors for God in scripture is light. But the direct light of God can be blinding. And so the only way for most of the world to perceive the light of God is when it is reflected and mediated through the lives of God's disciples. People perceive the light of the gospel when they see it in our lives. So let your light so shine before others. Let the light of God become mediated through you so that through you God can accomplish this mission in the world. One commentator noted, to let one's light shine is to live in such a way as to manifest the presence of the kingdom. We're like a city on the hill. We can't help but be seen. I mean, as you come and you drive by Clark on Clark Street, you see our church. There's a big sign out there. There's a big cross and flame. We're very obvious to those who drive by. Now, as most of you are aware, the 12 days of Christmas reached their climax with the celebration of Epiphany. And Epiphany is associated with the coming of the Magi bearing gifts for the Christ child. But the word Epiphany also means manifestation or appearance. So when we celebrate Epiphany, we're celebrating all the ways that Christ is made known, all the ways that Christ is made manifest in the world in a, that is in dire need of perceiving that presence. And so now, if you think about it, we are the Epiphany. As the body of Christ, we are now how Christ is made manifest, how Christ appears and is perceived in the world. And I can tell you, it does incredible damage when people see us as manifestations of the Christian faith and what they find and said is judgmentalism or a lack of love or exclusivism. And therefore, they're not seeing the light of the world. They're not seeing the light of God. And the entire Christian church gets a black eye because of it. But if we are to function properly as the light of the world, then we must be willing to go to the dark places of this world, the places of the marginalized, the places of the oppressed, the places where, as we read last week in the Beatitudes, where we find the poor in spirit, the mournful and the meek, the hungry and thirsty. And to them we illuminate the love of God. We must also be willing to let the light shine into the dark corners of our own souls so that when we reflect the light of God, then it's shining with the purity of our hearts. We're later warned in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of practicing our piety before others in order to be seen by them. Yet... We are also told, as Connie just read, let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And I think this seems contradictory and impossible to get right. So which is it? Are we supposed to beware of practicing our piety before others or are we supposed to be out in the open as the light of the world? And I can tell you, indeed, it's like walking a tightrope are trying to balance on the edge of a fence. And so the question we must ask ourselves is whether or not our good deeds point back to us or do they point beyond and through us to God? Do they give glory to us or glory to our Father in heaven? 
If we do good works just to solidify our reputation as good Christians or to win praise or admiration, then all we're doing is practicing our so-called piety before others. But if our good works point back to God, if people witness and experience our good works, then turn to God in awe and gratitude, then we're being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The passage Connie read from Matthew ends with these words. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now the metaphor of God as Father is found in both the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, as well as in Greek philosophical writings. But in the New Testament, God as Father is adopted as a major motif, one of the primary metaphors for God. God is referred to as Father 45 times in Matthew, 17 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone. Now, in modern times, we also like to think of God as mother, which is also an image, I might add, that's found in the Hebrew Scriptures. But it's that parental image of God that needs to be emphasized, and it emphasizes God's personal and imminent nature. But then, as we say, God is in heaven, and that points to the transcendence of the divine. So when we are serving God as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, can we be more specific about what that means? About What about being salt and light? What about that in the kingdom? What does that look like? Well, the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount will illuminate this further, but we can also see what Jesus is talking about by looking back at the prophets who inspired him. Jesus himself quoted from that passage from Isaiah that was read, when he was asked to read scripture when he visited the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And in the verses just preceding the ones that we read in the Isaiah text, the people of Israel have been wondering why, despite the fact that they fast regularly, they nevertheless fail to experience blessings. And so God responds that, well, yeah, you may be fasting, but while you're fasting, you're also oppressing your workers and engaging in violent conflict and so what kind of fast is it then that would be acceptable to God? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed to go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? That's what life looks like when we're living into our discipleship. We're, we're allowing God to work through us to be the light of the world. And this is what life looks like when our saltiness is working to preserve and purify and heal the earth. And in fact, the very next verse then in Isaiah says, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. In our passage from Matthew, Jesus talks about how you can light a lamp and then set it on a lampstand so it illuminates the entire house. And I wanted to show y'all here, it, this is a, a replica of a common household oil lamp that was used in Jesus' day. They, there's a major hole here, and the oil would be poured into this hole, and there was a wick coming out of this smaller hole. This was the handle right here. And so the wick would burn from the oil, not unlike our candles are doing right now on our altar. 
And uh, we, we were discussing earlier how, for some reason, the two candles do not have an equal size of flame. And for those of you who are anal retentive, that will really bother you. But nonetheless, this looks very small. And this is about the size that they were. But if you did set them on a lampstand properly, you could light up a small house. And so likewise, even if a church is small, maybe the size of Trinity UMC, God's light can still shine through us and we can illuminate our entire community. We just need to be willing to let God use us with hearts open. Well, ultimately, our well-being is tied to the well-being of others, and God can only bless us in as far as our hearts are open to both God and neighbor. Then we can be, as Isaiah writes, repairers of the breach and restorers of streets to live in. I'd like to end by reading our Matthew passage again, but from the translation paraphrase called The Message. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's, a, uh, it's translated directly from the biblical languages by the late Eugene Peterson, who was a, a well-known theologian. And then he translates it from the original languages, but then paraphrases it uh, in modern English. And he has this way, he's, he was a master with words. He has this way of expressing biblical thought in new and very often very poetic language. So here is how Eugene Peterson in the message translated the text from Matthew 5. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be hid. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous God that we have in heaven. So may we always be open to be the salt and the light, the God flavors and the God colors of this world and for this world as we live out our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ for the kingdom of God and for the transformation of the world. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder that you can always find a recording of our service on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org, or you can find an audio on our webcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And your action items for this week. First, continue to thank God for three things every day. And you can continue if you want to use that your house is not made of cow dung from last week. Go ahead and use it again because I'm still thankful for that. But also be praying for Trinity. And pray, thanking God for all God has done for us and how God has helped us to survive through these last two years. But then also a prayer, uh, a prayer of thanks, and then a prayer also asking God to continue to be with us and to continue to bring us into new frontiers of worship and ministry. Now receive this benediction.
You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So go forth from this place and let your light so shine that the world may perceive the love of God reflected in you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series based on the Sermon on the Mount as found in the Gospel of Matthew. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.